0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are talking about the ski industry and sustainability, and more specifically, We are taking a closer look at manufacturing. That's the manufacturing of skis and ski boots and helmets and goggles, etc. Now, these are, of course, topics that we have touched on on previous Blister podcast episodes, as well as some Gear 30 episodes. Last summer, we talked with Rosignol about what they are doing in terms of making skis far more recyclable. We have, of course, talked with Wonder Alpine about their work to replace petroleum with algae. Then there are companies like Icelandic that have become B Corp certified and companies like Technica that have rolled out their Recycle Your Ski Boots program. And today, we're going to be hearing a whole lot more about what Atomic is up to in terms of sustainability efforts. This past week, I was actually in Altenmarkt, Austria, at Atomic headquarters to discuss and to see what Atomic has been up to in terms of their various sustainability initiatives. And today, Atomic is releasing their first annual impact statement. And we are going to include a link to this impact statement in the show notes of this episode. And I would strongly encourage everyone listening to this conversation to check out this impact statement, whether you are just a passionate skier or whether you are somebody working for another ski company, or if you are somebody working in a whole other industry, I think there are some things here that are very much worth seeing and that are very much worth thinking about. And at the company level, I think there are some things that your own company might be able to implement. And so my guests today to help us think through these issues of the ski industry and sustainability and manufacturing are Atomic's James Fairbank, who is the global head of communications and marketing for Atomic, And Ronnie Schwarzenbrunner, who is Atomic's sustainability manager and somebody who's really damn smart, even though he doesn't appreciate a good cake analogy, much to my chagrin. More on that later. Anyway, I find Atomic's approach quite compelling, and given that Atomic is a pretty dominant player in the ski world, if you look at the impact statement of theirs, again we will include a link to that. It shows that they are producing 400,000 pairs of skis a year, 500,000 pairs of alpine ski boots, nearly 400,000 pairs of ski bindings, 350,000 helmets, etc., etc. And so learning more about what a company of this size is doing in terms of sustainability and measuring impact, well, I think that is a thing worth knowing about. Furthermore, we bring up once again in this conversation, the notion that sustainability is a performance characteristic, and that is something that I still think all manufacturers need to be wrapping their heads around, because increasingly, I think many consumers are going to be judging and evaluating different products with respect to sustainability. So yeah, some very big topics today, some unquestionably complex topics today, but certainly just because something is complicated and complex sure doesn't mean it isn't incredibly important. Now, just before we get to my conversation with James and Ronnie, folks, we are now under two weeks out from our Blister Summit. It kicks off Sunday afternoon, February 12th, and runs through Thursday night, February 16th. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again with more confidence even this time. I am confident that those who come to this summit are going to say that this was one of the very best weeks of this winter. And I'm confident about that given the lineup of brands that are going to be here, giving you an opportunity to demo and check out new gear. That includes Atomic skis, by the way. And a lot of people have been asking, yes, we'll have at least one or two pairs of Atomic's BOA boots For you to check out. And you'll also be able to check out some boa-equipped boots from K2 and Fisher as well. And for those of you who prefer buckles, well, we'll certainly have some of those around here too. Oh, and this just in, Stokely, is going to be at the Blister Summit. So, for the Stokely fans out there, or those who are Stokely curious, come check them out. Furthermore... It is still going off here in Crested Butte, and I didn't think it was going to be possible to top the conditions at Crested Butte Mountain Resort that we had for the summit last year. But all I'm saying, folks, is the mountain is in better shape right now than it was a year ago. And those of you who were at the summit knew how good it was a year ago. It is absolutely going off here, and... Well, once again, the stars are just aligning. So, Blister Summit, February 12th through the 16th, we will include a link in the show notes of this episode where you can get all the up-to-date information. Come see us. There's still time. It's going to be amazing. And now, let's get to my conversation with James and Ronnie. And while you're listening to this, I would check out that Atomic Impact Statement doc. Take a look at it while you're listening to this conversation. Frankly, my advice is to kind of skim through the whole thing and then you can go back and really start sifting through the particular details as you see fit. But first, get yourself acquainted with what's going on here. See what jumps out to you initially to be the most interesting stuff and then just work your way around the dock. It works great that way. All right, here we go. James and Ronnie. Well, I am very happy to be here with James and Ronnie today. James, we're going to start with you here. Tell us about this initiative that Atomic just released today.
1: So first of all, thanks very much uh, for the invite. It's great to be here with Ronnie, uh, particularly following up after your trip last week. So today is the culmination of two and a half years' work, like pretty much time Ronnie and I have been at Atomic and it's the first, the release of the first annual impact statement for Atomic. Um, so this provides a comprehensive overview of the history of Atomic in terms of its approach to reducing the impact it has uh, and our way forward. Um, it's a piece of work which has required us to orientate a really significant operations department. Our entire brand, making sure that it's aligned and understands the importance of this work, and then everybody shares in the outcome. So, yeah, hugely exciting. It's been a long haul, but yeah, very stoked to finally have it ready to release.
0: We did have the opportunity to spend several days together in Austria this past week with multiple very good conversations along these lines. Of course, sustainability is a huge topic these days. Most companies are trying to say something or do something about this. Atomic's approach was basically to work on a report for two and a half years. I want to talk about that because um, I think we're going to find out why that felt like precisely the right thing to do. And this might be a good time, actually, for me to throw it to Ronnie and for us to learn more about his own background and what he's been doing at Atomic for these past several years. So, Ronnie, your turn.
2: Hi, Jonathan. Really nice being here. I'm really pleased being part of the podcast. So, my background is that I studied at the University of Applied Science in Salzburg. It is called Wood Technology, but in general, it's about biogenic material. So not just wood, it's everything from natural fibers to some biogenic glues, everything in that direction. And actually a lot about sustainability, obviously, because that's all the materials. Um, It was also a lot about material science in general, material testing, glue development, and sustainability in. General like life cycle assessments, how to introduce environmental management systems in a company, and stuff like that. So really broad, but main focus was on
0: sustainability. I remember our first conversation about this, Ronnie, and you were like, "Yeah, I studied VUT." Technology. And I was like, what did you study? And then (laughs) finally figured out that you were saying wood technology. And I was like, what a weird name for a program. And I, I I'm just replaying exactly the conversation we had uh last week, but it was like, oh right, you know, we don't have any history here in America, unlike Europe. And so, yes, this would be called nowadays material sciences or applied sciences, but back in the day, there was only one material, and it was called wood. <laughs> and so, I was like, oh, right, European heritage and history, these are important things to, uh, you know, to remember. So, um, just wanted to clear, it. I was probably the only one confused, but if there was any other you know listener uh, today who was like, wait, what did he study and why is it called that? Yeah, sorry. Um, mostly just points to our lack of of history here in, in the states maybe james
1: one of the strange things for me when i first arrived here was this to discover by default i became part of the wood manufacturers union because if you work for a ski manufacturer in austria then that is your appointed union and it's it, those kind of things are an amazing wake-up call to understand kind of how tight you are to like the core of the skis themselves, but also a much kind of wider cultural and economic ecosystem that supports the ski manufacturing trade. It's an incredible thing. I've been struck done multiple times since I've been here of how kind of closely connected what Atomic does with kind of the history of uh, Austrian culture and the economy, the way the economy is developed.
0: Hmm. <laughs> so, Back to sustainability. James, maybe you can help us a bit with this history. Because first answer, you gave a presentation in Austria talking about Atomic's own history of initiatives along these lines. And I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek in the introduction to say that you know Atomic thought we should do something on sustainability, and you spent two and a half years making a report. That's an important part of it, but it's not like the brand just started doing anything or taking action on anything just in the last two and a half years. That wouldn't be accurate. But um, talk a little bit about, I guess, you know, where we are, say, in these last three years, and about bringing Ronnie on, and 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 how the company decided to kind of get here in these most recent, say, three years.
1: So. I guess it goes back It goes back a long way um, for Atomic, but in a kind of quite, um, what we tried to do in the last two and a half years is to codify our actions, so to try to attach a value to the various different things that we're doing, and that's the difference of kind of what's happened since Ronnie and I, or particularly Ronnie, came on, but if you go back over Atomic's history, like, there are a number of initiatives going back to, like, the early 90s when the Ski manufacturing shifted from kind of a lacquer base to hold the skis together. And like back in 1992, 1993, there was a significant change in the way that we made skis, moving from lacquer to uh, different technology, which was funded by the state as well as privately, so by Atomic as well. To the tune, like in today's money, is about 17 million euros. Uh, and then back in 2005, again, we did another big joint project. At which is where our headquarters is based um, to build a wood chip fuel power plant which had a profound impact on the amount of CO2 we produce in the operation of our facility. So both in terms of the uh, the oil circuit that's required to, to uh, allow the ski presses to function but then also the subsidiary he- heating that serves the site here which is home to about a thousand people and then Altamark's the town that we're kind of placed close by to. Then, like 2010-ish, for those people who've kind of been around and aware of Atomic's output, we did something called the Renew um, products. So that was a boot made out of Peevacs and a ski, also, that was made at the same time. And both of those, they were like, I think the tagline for the boot, somewhat... Uh, shiveringly, was like the first climate positive ski boot, which is like a kind of claim that we slaughtered for these days, rightly so. But it was a really interesting initiative at the time, because it was like, okay, we're going to go and see what we can do to use bio-based plastics to make a ski boot. The the difference then compared to now is that we didn't understand the impact of the changes that we were making because we didn't have something at the centre of, uh, measuring the the difference between what we had and what we were what we were altering, and I guess that's the thing that's really switched over the last two and a half years, and it's the crux of Ronnie's work. So the first time I, I met Ronnie um, was in the summer of twenty twenty, and was we sat at the front of the marketing office here in the sunshine, like with a pair of tweezers with his colleague Anita, like pulling pieces of ground ski to. Like putting them in different boxes. like, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I'm just trying to work out what parts of the speaker we recovered. I was like, What by like putting them into boxes and then weighing the individual boxes? And he was like, Yeah. How else are we gonna find out? And I was like, Oh man, we've got someone special. <laughs> we've like got someone really special and then thankfully the powers that be just decided to back the talent. So sorry, Ronnie, if this was embarrassing and then just doors opened because he has this kind of forensic approach to trying to baseline in a very transparent way the way that we operate as a, as a business and for me that's like being utterly transformative because you know like from a communications perspective you just need to have faith in what you're communicating it's like the crux of like my role I guess for the claims that you're making are honest and sustainability or impact or However, you choose to phrase it. it's such a complicated subject and it's so broad that it's very easy to get totally lost in the weeds. It's also very easy to overclaim. it's very easy to get stuck in marketing when you're trying to get involved in communication and um, just having that backup from someone with the background that Ronnie has and the understanding of how to kind of make skis on that scale and boots and bindings at scale and then using common themes so yeah that's that's what changed the other thing that's been really helpful is we worked with a consultancy called Anthesis because we were like well confused in the early days we're like we're doing all of this really good stuff and we know that it is worth communicating but how do we do it in a way that um we hope people find like honest and transparent and humble um and so we needed to work with people externally so Anthesis um, there was someone who was working there, a couple of Drummond Lawson, who had worked for Arterix. Which, for those that don't know, Arterix is owned by the same company that owns Atomic, a company called Ama. Um, so he has an experience of how to get things done inside the organisation. Was also just a totally committed to and really stoked on the project. So we were lucky enough to bring him in to consult because he can then like, he's going to kill me for saying so One of the um, subject he's working on at the moment is for a pesticide manufacturer, right? So he loves skiing and he's got to do his day job of like trying to encourage companies that make poisons to reduce their impact. And at the same time, he's trying to work with us too. So yeah, we were very, very fortunate that he could bring his wider background to bear to kind of check the work that we've done. So that's kind of it as an overview, if that's helpful.
0: One of the things that every time we have a conversation about sustainability initiatives and what companies are up to and new things maybe they're working on, I always just raise the question of greenwashing, right? Because we are in an age where corporations need, there's an expectation that there's going to be some talk or language about sustainability and what what they're doing. And, you know, I think it's one thing to talk about this stuff, but especially perhaps for those of us who love the outdoors, who love snow, none of us want to be just out there talking in ways that are kind of empty and don't actually have an impact or move the needle. And I think that's one of the reasons why. I think maybe sustainability reports in general doesn't maybe sound that sexy, but this establishing of baselines and for companies to understand where they are today and what they can then do to reduce emissions, that's a massively important part of the work, or we do risk just veering off into like, well, we don't really know exactly what we're doing or the kind of impact it has, but it kind of sounds nice and it seems like we're doing better. Does that, does that seem okay?
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I'd, I'd hand over to Ronnie to kind of outline the approach we've taken because it was the thing that made us most nervous. Like, I guess if you look at like Alpine, like Atomic's Alpine racing heritage, right? It's measured by stopwatches and thousands of seconds. like either beaten the time or you haven't beaten the time. And that's the thing that we're really that's we're really comfortable with that. Like much as the brand has diversified significantly over the years, like the idea of being able to measure something is kind of quite central to our success. And like when you first started looking at this subject, it was like, yeah, like how do we take the same approach? Because embedding the work internally was really important, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, Ronnie would be able to kind of explain how we approach this to avoid getting stuck in.
2: Yeah, maybe also to talk about how it worked for me when I came to Atomic. So I was really happy when I heard like, or figured out that the marketing department is not like asking, hey, give me something, we want to communicate about it. So, So I was really happy about that the marketing Department didn't just claim something. They really wanted like some data behind it. And that is why it took so long that we didn't have an impact report before now that it really was like based on all the work that has been done until now. So it's really based on a lot of work and not starting with communication before we actually did something. So we really wanted to know what we are talking about. And actually, there is way more going on than we are talking about. But that is just the things we are happy like to talk about yet. And there's much more going on here.
0: Same, say more about that, Ronnie. You're, you're working on other things. You're not talking about those things yet. Is that because you're still trying to figure out exactly what that impact is. Do I have that right? Exactly,
2: exactly. Because, I mean, if we do something, we really want to know, okay, is it a better impact? Is it a lower impact than before? And we always calculate everything. Everything should be data-based, science-based, data behind it, and that means If we didn't calculate it yet, we just don't know what it would mean.
0: Okay, well, so that's some of the stuff you're not talking about and why. Maybe we should talk about the things that you are talking about and that people can learn more about in this impact report. So where should we go from here, Ronnie? Yeah, maybe it's best to
2: start with the very holistic view on the whole company, Atomic, that we are committed to reduce and set our greenhouse gas emissions according to SBTI. So we really committed to SBTI as a brand. That means it's a science-based validation from the initiative that's called SBTI. So we are measuring and then setting targets, how we're reducing it until 2030, like short term, and 2050, Longer term. And from there, we are going more into the specific like product-based LCAs. So all our products that are newly developed the next year are always calculated via an LCA.
0: So yeah, Ronnie, maybe we should just have you say a bit more about SBTI. And then I want you to talk about LCAs.
2: So, SPTI is the acronym of Science Based Target Initiative. That's an initiative that is completely based on science. That means, according to the Paris Agreement, to meet the the target of 1.5 degrees Celsius with global warming. So, that means how much reduction of greenhouse gas is needed to reach that target of 1.5 degrees Celsius. And it's an initiative that is really validating if we set our targets right, and also if we measured all our greenhouse gases as it should be. And coming coming to LCAs, <laughs> it's life cycle assessment. So that means it's an environmental analysis of a product or a service. Could be either a process, some service, or a product like ours keys with all the processes involved. So that means when I said before, we are calculating an LCA for all products we're developing new. We are always talking about one construction that is representative for the whole line. So each product that is newly developed, we have an LCA, that the developers then know what are the biggest drivers of an impact of that product. So how can we reduce it best?
0: James?
1: So from a marketing communication standpoint, well, this was like, ah, uh, I'm stuck in acronym, how how can I possibly cut through this to make it make sense to people? There are kind of a few times where the penny really dropped. LCA's, they're quite a good one, so they sort of vary depending on which product you're talking about significantly so boots are in there with 20s of kilograms of carbon dioxide produced the manufacturing all the way through to the end of life of the product skis depending on the ski depending on the materials used like between 10 and 20 kilos for example and like, right okay kilos of co2 is the difficult thing for me to concede up until the point that i realized so altamarkt is about 60 kilometers south of salzburg if I drive my car from Salzburg to Altenmarkt and drive it back from Altenmarkt to Salzburg, I produce way more CO2 than a pair of touring skis produces in its entire life cycle. And then I was like, ah, right. Okay. So now it's got kind of another layer of complexity because whilst you can take a really kind of forensic look at the way that we manufacture products. One of the atomic superpowers is the fact that we have so much control over our supply chain. Um, so we have the data to be able to explain how much CO2 is produced and what the various different factories, like what things can be done to reduce their impact. But you broaden it into like the entire company operations and you're like, if I can just stop people driving in individual cars to the office if they live in Salzburg, that's going to have a profound impact. CO2 we produce as a business. And it's these kind of things which the report tries to peg out from a CO2 perspective because, like, whilst there are obvious levers that you can use using our kind of manufacturing capabilities, there are also kind of behavioral things that we're trying to work on that also have a really profound impact on reducing the amount of CO2 we produce as a business. But I think that's the, like, I get given the Data by Ronnie, who has the I- ability to be able to change processes within manufacturing to reduce our operational footprint. And then it's a question like, okay, how can that be communicated so that people can make clear choices, both internally, like within the family, in terms of how they can to work, as well as like consumers, are like, oh, okay, I know what an LCA for the ski is. It's like that's how much is being produced. And it's tricky because kilos of CO2 are not like prices on things, right? So they're not clearly or widely understood, but I think there's beginning to become the language around them that people are a little bit more kind of cued into like an individual product's impact just from the terms of carbon dioxide. So throughout this whole process, we've been trying to take the data and be like, right, what is it that can kind of make it look So that's why, you know, the impact statement is why it is. Like we wanted to make something that was kind of accessible and open and and not too dusty. There's a... Give you another acronym like GRI which is Global Reporting Initiative like you can write reports to that standard but they're so detailed they're so detailed that they it's really difficult unless you're an expert like Ronnie to actually pull interesting pieces of information out of it but yeah we wanted to build something that had the data that sat behind it but then try and present it in a way that was engaging enough to be able to get enough people to read it and then hopefully feedback on the content or then think, oh, that's interesting, okay, like, I can understand where they're going with it. Um, Or alternatively, kind of the wider industry looks at parts of it and they're like, oh, that's really interesting, I should have phone to Atomic. and might find out how they're doing life cycle assessment calculations. Is there a way that we can kind of pull the way that we're doing it as another brand of business? Because um, ultimately, it's like, no snow, no skiing. Like, there is nothing, like, and it's happened again this week. There's nothing that non-endemics, over which I mean, like mainstream publications, like more than a photo of a white strip through a brown landscape. And if you've been based in the Alps until the last couple of weeks, that's all you have seen. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Washington Post, the Guardian in the UK, like Salzburg and the like they're all writing the same articles about skiing is doomed. And unless someone leans in to be like, no, 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 like the skiing industry, like whilst it's like any industry that makes anything has an impact, but like we know what that impact is and we're committed to reducing it, then the narrative is going to be self-perpetuating. And that's the, like, the core nervousness for me that sits at the heart of this, is that if that, collectively as an industry, we don't try to represent skiing, Per se, in terms of it not being like a rich person's pursuit, but like it's something that's really culturally and economically important to people who live in the mountains, then this will just carry on because people will just think it's not relevant anymore because they'll, like, they'll see it as, as, as it's an indulgence. And that's just not true, man. Like this part of the world, you know, you'll have seen it last week, is without skiing, it's it, ill so different and it won't be able to even sustain the population that lives here, let alone the economic impact of what would happen if you took it out. So these are the things that are so central to this because we realise it's really urgent and we realise that we can't do it on our own and we realise the paradox in it. So all of these things are what make the communication around this subject so complicated um, and that's why we're trying to figure it out but from Atomic's perspective, if it isn't kind of seen as a performance indicator like on, slow, like on slow performance, if the impact of a product isn't seen as a performance characteristic, then it's not even embedded internally. So we've had a piece of work to do there of like, you've got to take this seriously. You've got you've got to see it as, as, as a, an important part, as like the flex pattern of the ski. You've got to understand that this is one of those things that we have to be committed to moving forward. So there's um, a few audiences for this work. We started with the internal one because getting them on side was was the first port of call. But people have been pretty a of it.
0: This notion that manufacturing products with a lower impact to educate the customer to see that and view that as a performance characteristic, I think is. A really important thing. One, I think it's happening on its own, that customers are increasingly wanting to know where are things manufactured, how are they manufactured, et cetera. But there's still a lot of education work we can do in terms of all of us. I mean, we see some shiny new thing and we might really like the top sheet a whole lot, but then pausing for just a second and being like, okay, but let me go a little deeper. Understand what this company is doing, what are they committed to, where are they heading. And I think customers will increasingly be looking to support companies that, well, where they do, where individuals do see those companies as being in alignment and pushing things forward in this way. So in that sense, I think all of this ultimately does get to just being like good business. And and yet I love James that you talked about at Atomic, we used to just measure things with a stopwatch. That's quite good, you know? And it's like, yeah, how's our performance? Look at the watch. Today, there's you know, stopwatches are still important for any company, you know, working in the race world, but to extend what we're measuring and why we're measuring it is a really important thing, I think, for any company in the outdoor space to be, to be doing and, and to really be taking seriously.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's table stakes. I think the consumers are coming. They're not quite there yet, but I think it should be table stakes. Particularly if you've got ownership of your manufacturing, like, why wouldn't you tell people? Do you know like, w- what benefit is there in not being transparent? Because in my mind, it's like, well, what have you got to hide? The, and the answer, perhaps, is the part why people don't do it in full transparency is because it's really complicated, because it's really easy to contradict yourself. But then then it's a question of like doing the work. That's why it's been two and a half years worth of putting it all together, because it, it takes takes time to get the data. Like Those LCAs, like, Ronnie, how many pages? 36 page reports that have to be externally checked so when so it proves that we're not full of shit it, it and it like that's a lot of money and a lot of time mm-hmm. it's actually 100 pages
2: there you go 300 <laughs> 100. Uh, 100. 100 for each product so it's pretty wow. pretty long and a lot of information in there how we can improve products on the impact level but may, maybe also to mention here it's not just co2 um, the CO2 equivalent is definitely one of the most urgent ones, and that is why it's it's our focus. Our targets are on that, but our department, sustainability department, who is calculating the LCAs, we are always looking at all other impact categories. It's about 16 more, starting from eutrophication to acidification, toxicity, and all that pretty Complicated-sounding, sounding sounding impact categories. We are all looking at all of them. That nothing is like increasing a lot for decreasing the CO two a bit. But in total, CO two is the the most important thing for us currently.
1: Hmm.
0: So, one of the things that I thought was important to understand. James, you mentioned this earlier in the conversation, but one of the biggest sources here of emissions for any manufacturer is sort of powering the factory itself. And so maybe, Ronnie, could you tell us a little bit back to this 2005 initiative of atomics? Because as I was doing my best to understand where really significant reductions have occurred, it turns out that, yes, it's interesting and important to talk about how can we bring down the impact of producing, say, a cool new ski boot. But when you're just talking about firing up how the whole factory works, this 2005 initiative was really significant. Can you say a bit more about that, Ronnie? So the change from oil heating to wood heating maybe to
2: mention the wood chip heating is not just usual wood chips, it's really waste from the forest industry, so mostly bark. It's burned in, at our neighbor's facility. It's actually a yeah, power plant for producing heat energy for whole Alpenmarkt and our production site. And if you compare, for example, like oil, what we used before, to what we are using now with the wood chips, it's about 95% of CO2 reduction. So that is pretty huge. And, and I mean, now we know that it's that huge in our facility in Altenmarkt. That means if you change it somewhere else in our, our other facilities for producing, for example, in Romania, some ski boots, it would be the same significant impact there. James?
1: I think that's like why Alton Markt is such an important hub because the learnings that we have stretching back over this period of time are like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Now we've done the data work, we're like, we need to pull that across to the other sites as quickly as we possibly can um, because we know the impact it has. Like, it's 2 million, 2 point, almost 2.2 million tons of CO2 that we don't release into the atmosphere a year as a result of having that fuel source. And if you can move it into the other sites that we own and operate, or AIMA owns and operates, so that would be Romania and Bulgaria, like, you're going to see significant reductions there as well. And it's really powerful. It's almost like a uh, test bed. Like, the processes that we put in place here can then be quite, like, used and drawn across the other sites. But then also, we want to kind of be open about what we've done here and the impact that it's had. And now we know the things that have really reduced impact, it's like, that's the point of report, making it public, if you're like, oh my God, okay, that's the thing that really had the biggest impact, then cool, like, they might go on and, like, investigate whether that's an initiative that they can lead to, like, they can pursue as well, Um, because this is something shared, right, it's, like, trying to position it as, like, we're better than someone else is not the role of the work, it's, like, try to do the right thing and be transparent in doing the right thing and then try and jolt the rest of our business in the right direction. And then hopefully that acts as inspiration for others as well. Whilst at the same time learning from other people, like seeing the initiatives that other uh, brands and businesses have gone through and then looking and seeing if we can incorporate some of their learnings as well, because we're either all in this and pulling in the same direction or like, we're not going to have measurable impact, like, it's just it's a, what we produce is a bit like the wind sports industry is a fraction of like the overall thing. It's like one of the strongest arguments that people use like why are you bothering doing anything? What you do is nothing. It's like yeah, but it's so critically important in terms of the way that skiing is perceived. If the skiing in the ski doesn't get behind this, can imagine what that looks like. Like it, it, there has to be something that there has to be a change in the way that the industry presents itself. Um, and like this is the point of trying to do this this work. To try and get people to engage
0: with it. Yeah, and to that point of well, look, in the scheme of things, the global scheme of things, the ski industry is small. Well, yeah, that's true. But one of the things, and I've made this point before on probably this blister podcast, there's also a point where turns out a lot of what we might call titans of industry in global industries, outside of the ski industry, happen to be passionate skiers. And increasingly, just the people I meet, frankly, the people who are Blister members, these are high-level executives at extremely powerful companies. And they love sliding around on snow just as much as you and I do. And one of the things that I think is important, first of all, you've already made the case for why the ski industry, an industry dependent on snow, why this industry ought to care a hell of a lot about these initiatives. But then there's this other thing that it can set, I think, a legitimate example for other industries. We're all always looking at other industries and who all is doing what, whether it's in terms of manufacturing or media i think that's just what anybody should be doing to try to see a, you know, in terms of gleaning inspiration or finding a better practice or whatever and i have increasingly come to the thought that while the ski industry might not be as big as the auto industry or something there are a lot of auto manufacturing executives who are skiers and who are say listening to this conversation or paying attention to what companies are doing in the ski space and i've kind of come to really um find that exciting that people are paying attention so there's that and and i think that's a nice counter to the thought of like well we're too small of an industry for this to really matter so why do we care
1: yeah i think that's Really well observed. I also think that, like, we're the kind of punch bag in terms because we're the most visible way of illustrating the climate crisis. Like, man made snow strips in the middle of brown landscape are like, no one needs to understand the climate crisis, but they can understand that photo. Like, it's very, very clear. So, therefore, we haven't, to your point, oversized impact if we get the communication right. Or rather, not the communication. If we get, if we act in the right way, if we act in the right way, we will have an oversized influence on the wider world. In the same way that we have an oversized influence in the way that people perceive the climate crisis because of the way that it is reported in endemic press, uh, sorry, non-endemic press. And that, for me, is like that's why we've got to do it, right? Like, and it, it totally sidesteps that question of like, oh, well, you're tiny, and like, if other people aren't doing it, like, so what about other people? Own what you own, right? You're either going to do the right thing, or you're not, and that's on you. It, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of as simple as that. It's like if you own it, if you're only manufacturing, get it done. Like just go and shape the person who needs to provide the funding to be able to get the experts in the business to be able to make it happen. Because what's the alternative? Genuinely, it's it's extremely extremely urgent, it's extremely important. Like we just won't be here having this conversation about this topic if you don't fix it in, a, in, a, in a few fewer years, years than we think.
0: Ronnie, let's talk more about LCAs. See, I'm doing it. I'm using acronyms now, but we've already defined what that is, so I think it's all right. So I still very much encourage people to take a look at this impact report And we will have a link to that in the show notes of this episode. I'll remind people of that. But talk a little bit about one of the most significant things you've learned or that we should understand. And I'll let you choose. Let's keep it either to improvements or I should say reductions that you've been able to make whether on the ski manufacturing side of things or on the ski boot side of things. Pick pick a particular example of a, of a product or manufacturing processes where, because of your studies, Atomic has been able to bring down reductions in a significant way.
2: And maybe first of all, it's definitely not, not me who reduced the impact. It's always the developers. Um, I always try to... Inform them as good as possible with our life cycle assessments that they know what is the biggest impact driver. I think the best example is the Backland 85. That was the first life cycle assessment we did or started three years ago. Um, There, we found out, okay, epoxy resin, glass fiber is one of the biggest contributor to CO2 emissions, and also to a lot of other impact categories here. So our developers try to reduce that as much as possible and substitute it. There are definitely a lot of ways, but the most important thing with reducing impact is that the performance, like the skiing performance, and the weight shouldn't be compromised. So the first thing they tried, the developers tried to do, is making the wood core thicker using another wood core and therefore being able to reduce, for example, glass fiber and epoxy resin. And that, in combination with some other measures, it was possible to reduce the CO2 impact by 30% from the old backland to the new backland that is out now. And 30% is a lot. So it's really, yeah, one third less CO2 emissions. That is pretty much. So I'm really, really proud to to be able to talk about that. And our developers were able to do that.
0: And this is probably an oversimplification, but so correct me, you know, set me straight on this, but it sounds like basically my understanding is there was this life cycle assessment of how the Backland 85 was being constructed. And what you guys did basically is like you switched up the ingredients to make the cake. And you're like, well, if we, let's say use a thicker core, thicker wood core, we can reduce the amount of say fiberglass being used in a ski Things like that, changing up the ingredient or the ratio of ingredients with the result of reducing emissions by 30%, but maintaining certain performance characteristics on snow skiability characteristics that you still wanted a Backland 85 to have. How'd I do?
2: Exactly. So it's definitely o- oversimplification. <laughs> Our developers needed <laughs> long for that. <laughs> but they managed to do it. And it's not just about reducing some materials. It could also be replacing some materials by completely new ones. So maybe some new innovations or using more recycled content or using completely different material. For example, for a binding reinforcement, they used ash wood instead of aluminum, titanol. Because we knew from the LCA, okay, is has a pretty high impact. And obviously it's a lot of testing, a lot of prototypes, a lot of testing again, new prototypes, and it's a long way to go here. But now we are doing that for all products. It's not just that we gave them, like our developers, our LCAs to know the biggest drivers. After we said, told them and gave it to them, like what is the biggest driver, we also made an LCA tool for them that they can also play around with that plain numbers. For example, it's, I don't know, uh, eight kilograms of CO2 for one kilogram of epoxy. or five kilograms of CO2 for one kilogram of polyamide. And what would it be if you would exchange it by polyethylene or recycled PA or bio-waste PA or, or whatever that they can play around and configure their own ski and at the same time already calculating a rough LCA. When they are finished with that, they are coming to us again, we are calculating it like properly. And normally it fits together quite well how they calculated it. But then it's really verified again.
1: Talking to the like, pro- like product managers and then the BU directors, and like, through them to the R&D crew, like it's been a really helpful parameter because they know they can't sacrifice on site performance. So they're like, oh, okay, well, I've got another angle. I've got to take on this. Like it's, yeah, you know, that classic thing of like you ask someone to design, and you're like, okay, where's the brief? This gives this gives them another performance characteristic to consider, and it and it helps them, particularly with the tool, like to be like, oh, okay, like let's change it, let's run off the proto, get it in the snow, see how it goes. And um, you know, at the moment, there's a pair of these skis in an eighty-eight flying around the office, and like everyone's scrapping over them because they're, like, they're amazing and <laughs> they work really well like, oh man, you've nailed it because you've seen it as a performance characteristic, and that was it was so important to sell it in because it's like, okay, you've got to take this seriously when it comes to the construction on it because it can't just be, it's got to be included within the same like, approach because otherwise it's so disruptive to try and get it into the whole process, and it like if we had resistance internally then like without Ronnie's help to give people those tools to be able to calculate it quickly themselves, to understand the, the substitutions they were making. But they saw it as a like a challenging, but fun extension of the work that they were already doing. it was like, ah, brilliant, okay, that's worked. Because then like you do the same thing in Boots and it's like, oh, then they understand like then increasing the amount of recycled material and the impact that has in overall CO2 terms. And it's like, it's a measurable, tangible thing that, that like to gamify is the wrong, the wrong word, but you know, what I mean, it, it's like, it's a really useful way of guiding people's behavior because you give them the transparency over the impact of their individual decisions. It's the same across the business and across operations as well. It's like are people thinking about this as something in their daily lives and they're trying to do the, the more responsible thing. So if they can carpool, are they carpooling? And it, even if they're just thinking about carpooling as a start, do you Um, so yeah, embedding the work internally has been really interesting, it is totally an ongoing thing as well, like the more I learn about the subject through reading around it and also through running and the more you realise, the more levers that you can pull
2: Maybe the internal education is a good point, because also to mention, we even have Anita, she is employed for like full time in our sustainability department just calculating LCAs internally so that means we have one resource just for calculating LCAs and being the main main contact for our developers to talk to, like, what if I change that? What if I change that? And we can really quickly calculate the impact here. So I think that's a really, really interesting and helpful thing in our organization here.
1: It's almost kind of run, we've almost had to run into it as a startup within a bigger business, you know, like function that didn't exist beforehand, you kind of got to win people's trust over by not making their lives more difficult, but then also kind of explain the end point, paint them a picture of like where we're trying to get to, and then engage them in the process by offering them support. And it's been brick by brick you know, you, you get people and they're like, oh, okay, this is cool, like this is a way in, and then like you can see, and then you just, and then it, then once you're up to speed, then you just gotta kind of continue to add resource and then increase momentum so that the, the whole thing can, like, you know, the first LCA got how long did the first five LCA take? To calculate, Ronnie, how long was it?
2: It was a bit more than one year.
1: And now how quickly can you calculate an LCA?
2: Depending, so if we calculate a completely new, product, like now we're doing with the helmets, we probably also, yeah, we we are going to spend one year again, but if you're calculating a new ski now, we already have a lot of information and are experienced in that materials that are used. We probably need like three months or so, so it's getting faster and faster, and we are getting more experienced in what to exchange and
1: what is possible, what is not and that knowledge base is priceless because, you know, like being able to do that and cut the time down to three months on a ski, you're like, okay, well then you do every product. Like if any product's undergoing a significant redesign now, it, it, the existing product will get its LCA. What's the impact of the thing you're trying to redesign? Then we'll redesign it, manufacture it and be like, okay, that's the amount we reduced it by. And like in tr- all transparency, some things we've redesigned and we haven't been able to get the numbers down significantly. And then you don't, like, you know, you're not going to go to market on that point. You're not going to be like, oh, this is, like, 5% less impact because it's not significant. Because back to that example I gave about kind of driving a car, it's like, if it's not, like, a significant amount, then then you can't lead with it. And like, so some of the things, like... It's a classic case of like yeah, okay, we can't we can't change things in this because it's gonna sacrifice performance. And if we sacrifice the performance of the product, then that's our reputation down the window. And and so there are some things we can push really hard and make big changes with. And there are some things that we've tried and we've done the whole process and it's just not worked. And it's just not been a significant saving. And that's okay, because then you even learn something going through that process and you're like, Well, that thing can't be touched and wait, can we push harder? Um so then then it, over time, like, as and it, and people become more accepting of it as a function, then it has more impact. And this is where this is like making it public, then it's the next step of like, oh, okay, like people are talking about this as a topic. Like Then it galvanizes even more support for it internally, which then allows us to resource up more, which then allows us to do more quickly and so on and so on and so on. So that's kind of where we are. I guess that's why we're like really excited about this report being out because it's the next step in the process that's been quite private to this point but we feel like it could be like a proper tipping point for them significantly more positive action
0: a couple things james when you say it kind of now feels like a startup for a company that's been around a very long time that that resonates i think this might have to be a conversation for another day ronnie but you also are a ski builder and you know, have played in that world quite a bit. I'm I'm curious if you agree with this sort of take of mine, but I feel like if we go back 15 to 20 years, almost nobody in the ski industry knew how to make a fucking rockered ski. It was this like new land of like, what are we doing here? And you'd see some of the worst and weirdest Experiments, right, with rocker profiles and shapes. Well, fast forward to today, I feel like many ski manufacturers are pretty good at figuring out, like, shape and rocker profiles. It no longer feels like we are just walking out into the wilderness to figure out how to make these things kind of work. And so if if you agree with me that overall... Say shapes and rocker profiles are no longer this mystery. Those are getting relatively dialed in. Now, what you guys are describing is this whole world where we are a little bit back into the wilderness or kind of, you know, in this bit of a black box, trying to now figure out how to reduce emissions and use this combination of materials. New materials, recycled materials, to to bring down emissions levels. And it feels to me like that's the new frontier. You know, shapes, we're getting pretty good as an industry collectively figuring that out. But the materials game and bringing down emissions... Now we're kind of back into like the early days of rocker profiles where people were like, I don't know, would this work? Can we just kink the hell out of this tail and that might be cool? What do you think of that take? Yes,
2: I really like that comparison. Maybe one point, I would definitely not call it like a feature like rocker or camper or whatever. So, sustainability is definitely not a feature, as also a lower impact is not a feature. I think it's more like you said, there are a lot of ways to reach a lower impact. So using, for example, recycled material, innovative material to lower the impact. So maybe that recycled material would be more comparable to, to rocker
0: as a feature then. Okay, Ronnie's not impressed with my analogies. <laughs> <I didn't> really <laughs> <love>
1: my- Welcome <laughs> to my world, Jonathan. Welcome to my Every single time I come up with a concept, I throw that. Like, That's not cutting through, man. I might have wrong on the science or the metaphor's not working.
0: <laughs> he didn't like my cake analogy, which I frankly still like. I, I still like that one, and I don't. He wasn't that impressed with my wilderness analogy either. Damn it, Ronnie's tough to impress.
2: Yeah, I I like the analogy, but there are some really detailed things I would, want wanted (laughs) to
0: clarify.
2: (laughs) That that is just why we don't use like the impact as a feature at the same time as there is like Rocker profile, horizon tag and impact. I would more call it like impact needs to be seen as the whole thing. So we need it for everything calculated and reduced. And there are skis that are just different. So for some skis, you need a rocket technology. For some skis, you need more camber, you need more stiffness, less stiffness, whatever it is.
0: James, help me out here.
1: No, no, I, I can offer you no help. I mean, this is welcome. This is totally welcome to my world. <laughs> uh, insofar as if it's like, if it, and we have oh. we have this debate internally about like, we, you know, because I think people are looking for points of difference, like it's, it's natural, right? You're looking for differentiation between products. It's like, what's the line that's going to differentiate yeah. this from that? Um, and it took me, you know, like by default marketing will kind of be like, okay, we'll find the angle on this and then we'll spin it into the way that we communicate around products and it's really product led businesses I've mentioned before. And so it'd be quite natural to do that if we weren't kept honest by our internal conscience money um, because then it's like, okay, you've got to take a more holistic view of it and the differentiation will come when people look back over 10, 15, 20, 30 years worth of traceable history. And if you're being true to it, I think it's also important to note that you know the impact statement is out for this year, next year we will do it and we'll report on our progress. I will guarantee you, like all of the goals that we've set ourselves, will come up short on a few. Like it's, you know, we want to try and bounce the rest of our manufacturing into using energy from renewable sources. That's so far beyond our pay grade. Like we can make the recommendation, but the idea that the business would do that, like we'll put as much pressure on it as we possibly can because we believe it's the right thing to do. But um, there are some things that we might not get to. Um, and that's okay because it like, I, and I think that's where we have to be comfortable, like knowing that we're going to come up short and fail in certain areas. Because otherwise, if you're not failing, you're not learning. Back to the point about some cities, you know, the LCA, do we redesigned them and we'll be able to get the impact down significantly? Um, but yeah, I can't help you with, with Ronnie with getting his thumbs up on that for I live in that world and yeah, I struggle. <laughs>
0: Well, we started kind of at the top by talking about the specter of greenwashing and how none of us, I mean, being able to say pretty slick things about, you know, sustainability initiatives, if that isn't backed up in fact, well, then one, we're just kind of bullshitting. And two, I don't think we're interested in just bullshitting so I guess we need to have Ronnie around holding us accountable even though I'm sad because he didn't like my cake analogy (laughs) so thanks Ronnie I want to let you guys get going soon Um, but talk a little bit about sort of your hopes of doing this you've talked about what it means for atomic and setting benchmarks, baselines to be able to understand what you're doing moving forward and, you know, measuring, uh, the importance of measuring things. I think those things have been driven home, but I don't know, James, maybe can you say just a bit more about where you hope this goes sort of, I don't know, I guess beyond atomic.
1: This is part of this, but like part of the point of, Publicizing the statement is to have these conversations and put them out via the media, via intermediaries, because then hopefully, like, I've got a lot of respect for a lot of initiatives that happen across the industry. So, you know, Remo Boot from Scarpa, like Rossi's uh, Circular Ski, like, it, they're really interesting projects that we want to understand better because we see them as lighthouses. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, how can that happen? We hope that by putting this work out there, people also feel if there's something of interest to them, then they can kind of get in touch with us so we can create a groundswell. And, and to that end, we're going to host a climate summit uh, around this work in later in the year in Salzburg, where we're going to kind of invite a range of the ski industry from like the snowmakers to the operators to like sister brand uh, media to try and come and talk about kind of common overlap. Um, so we can try and like a little bit like the startup metaphor I gave is like in the way that sustainability has become an integral part of the atomic brand internally. Like we kind of want to do that within the industry as well and then try and bring people together to share best practice. Because if that happens, then, then Hopefully some of the benefit of the work we've done to date can be shared so that people don't have to go through the incredibly laborious task of setting up an an LCA sort of program because we can show them how we've done it and we can connect them with the partners that we use to validate our work. So it's just trying to kind of almost create a bit of a breadcrumb trail. I think the other aspect to that is like, you know, the way that Atomic is perceived publicly is probably through our sports marketing least we hope it is, like that's that's a significant investment for us. And engaging that athlete network and educating that athlete network is really important to us. So um we have to support that approach uh, slime side like a global partnership with Power. They've done a really good piece of work with the North Face on athlete education in terms of communication around impact and sustainability. Because similar to the manufacturing paradox you've also got the Heavy skiing sled-powered paradox on the athlete side if you're talking free skiing or on the alpine side, the circus that surrounds it. And a lot of the athletes that you talk to privately are really engaged around this topic. They're just like, if I put it out there, I'm going to get flayed. And we want to act as a, like, like But as as, from a sponsor's responsibility standpoint like okay well we can connect you with people who have got a legitimate voice in this space who can help train you to talk about these topics if they're important to you all the while not kind of seeing it as a marketing campaign god christ you know, the idea though is to be able to give this information to people for them to be able to choose what they act on I guess that's the hope to answer your question in a very roundabout way there's enough information in there which is useful for, for people to be able to take it and build on. If we've done that, then we've created some meaningful work. Um, and then we'll just keep like producing internally and keep reporting on what we're doing on an annual basis and keep like all the cul-de-sacs we run down, all the things that don't work. Like We'll keep experimenting to see what we can do to reduce the impact of the business that we own. Um, so yeah, that's the hope. The conversation continues. People share best practice. Like We recognize we're all in this together. Like, we are a very, very visible manifestation of the climate crisis. We have the ability to get in front of this and show a positive side of it if we work collectively. And that, I think, is the ambition of this work. And that's why, you know, on a personal level, it's so exciting um, because it feels, like, critical and urgent and really interesting. It's like, it's not... It's far divorced from kind of the, standing marketing, the standard marketing role.
0: Well, as we come to the end of this conversation, one of the things <laughs> that feels clear to me is these are not simple topics. It's difficult. It is difficult. James, I know that you and I have talked about this a lot, how difficult it is to communicate these things in a truly meaningful way. It's tough and you know to be honest i'm i'm feeling the the weight of that just in this conversation as as i've tried to stumble through and you know guide us a bit in terms of what atomic has been doing and why she we should care and how individuals can and should be thinking about this stuff there are certainly simpler topics in the world to to uh, to have a conversation about so i very much appreciate you two working through these things with me Ronnie, I guess you just do this every day, so you are more familiar with this world, but um, I don't know, any lessons or thoughts on either the communication of this or sustainability in general? Yeah, I think you summed it up super well that sustainability itself is not easy,
2: and especially it's not black and white. There is no sustainable product or, I mean, in general, every product has an impact but you can lower it. So, And all, all answers to questions like, should I use that material or that material? It's always like, hmm, it depends. If it's produced like that, it's better, or if it's produced like that. So really, it's always a hard decision, but I think using like science-based data out of LCAs is always a good choice and i hope many companies are doing that and i I talk to a lot of companies also outside of the skiing world and most of them are already calculating or at least externally letting calculate an lca so i'm really confident and looking forward to way more like science-based data about that
0: And then James's job will just be to communicate all that science-based data that you find, Ronnie. So we know what James's <laughs> work ahead looks like.
1: I think the more literate people become, like, then the more it enters the public lexicon, then the easier it's going to make the communication. At the moment, like, people are trying to find the words, trying to find the language, trying to find... And it's not finding an angle. It's like there is no confirmed set of phrases to talk about this topic so everyone's working slightly independently as the consumer comes around to it then so the language will become more cohesive but it's it might be a bit of a haul but it's like it's so critically important it's it's an ass worth hauling for sure
0: well gentlemen it was great to meet you both this last week and to have a chance to break bread and and do some skiing and uh, do some skinning that's that's still one of the really special things I think about our industry is that we have this shared weird passion for clicking into bindings and um, cruising around in beautiful places and you know it's one thing to go have a conference with some people about something but to be able to do that stuff, the thing we're the most passionate about, really is a absolutely cool way to connect and it's something that i'm always grateful for um in our mountain sports world whether it's getting on a bike with somebody or a trail run or skiing um we've got a pretty cool way to connect that um not every industry has so uh, appreciate the time i got to spend with each of you in person and appreciate this this conversation today thank you very much likewise thanks a lot Well, that then brings us to the end of this edition of the Blister podcast. I want to say thanks to James and Ronnie for this conversation and all of the other conversations we had last week. I want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode and from the entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. Oh, and see you at the summit don't forget, sign up for the summit. We'll see you here in Crested Butte. All right. Bye, everybody.